Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, this morning, as uh, we dive back into the book of Acts, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, Acts 4, verse 32, Acts 4, 32. If you're using the blue Bible in the room, it's uh, page 108384 84, should be right in there. And I, I want to encourage you and just go ahead and warn you a little bit. Uh, you'll see it in your sermon notes. The word radical is used a few times. And this is a radical passage today. This is one of those ones that stretches you in some ways. And, and as we say it, I, I want to make sure we're clear, because sometimes when you're teaching through a book like Acts, you, these certain time periods in God's history, how he works, you, you want to be careful that you guard against two things. One side of it is we can kind of read through it. You read through miracles. You read through these amazing things that happen. And sometimes we can overemphasize or we can say, oh man, if it happened like that, it's supposed to happen like this now, exactly like that. And I go, I always have to be careful when you're reading through a narrative, God moves in different ways and he's moved like the book of Acts in history, but I can't demand those things. I don't want to overemphasize. Now here's the other thing though. And, and I would say this is one we're more prone to. We can kind of step on this side of it and go, well, that's how he worked then. Oh, he did those radical things in Acts, but we live in a different age and it's safer. And we almost underestimate what God can do and kind of write ourselves out of the story. Guys, the reason we have these stories about Jesus in the gospels to learn his life, we have these stories about his church in Acts is to learn about his church and learn about this movement of the Holy Spirit in it. And when he moves in these radical ways, I can't demand he do the exact same kind of miracles or things, but I can look at it and go, am I open to him doing those things? Am I open to learning as his church? And am I learning from it? As I say this, read with me at the end of Acts chapter four, coming off this remarkable revival, coming off of this where thousands of people have come to Christ, as the church is reaching out, look what God does in this. Now the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul, so that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they held everything in common. Now again, this is this work of the Holy Spirit. This is a church that over a matter of a few weeks has gone from 120 people to 10,000 plus. And there's a unity that can only be described that the Holy Spirit brought. They were one in heart and mind in it. That they're sharing together with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. The apostles, the reason they're the ones giving the primary testimony is they were the ones that saw the resurrection of Jesus. And so this church is not built on legend that came up later. You'll hear people at times, they go, oh yeah, the whole resurrection of Jesus, that, you know, that didn't start till the second or third century. And it's built on a legend with that. Guys, we're weeks after Jesus' resurrection. The apostles who saw it were eyewitnesses to it are now spreading it to that first generation so that they can know everything we believe is built on this truth. He rose and this grace overwhelms them. And, and then you look at this radical generosity. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as he had need. Now, remember this church, they've come together some from different parts of the world, 
Some different status of life. There were many slaves in the early church who, who were in poverty with that. Some had core needs that were there. There's not a social system. There's nothing else in that. And so as the church is coming together, God starts moving people in radical ways. They're willing to, to sell their land. They're willing to sell their house, which would be radical today when, when you do that. I mean, you give of that level. Back then it was even more so because you, you usually didn't have a bank account or something I mean, land or house was something that was very hard to get. If you had it, you held on to it. And yet you see the, the spirit moving in ways that these people step forward with radical generosity. Now, again, let me say, we don't overemphasize to a point that if you're sitting here today and you own a house, is the Holy Spirit asking you to sell your house and give all the proceeds away? No, he may be, you, you might wanna have that conversation with him not saying he can't, but you don't want to over-apply each detail and go, oh yeah, that's exactly how it's, we'll, we'll see in the early church, many of them kept their homes because the church met in their house. So they became church houses of that. God uses these resources. What you're seeing though is this movement of radical generosity. In fact, one of them here, this guy named Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Now he's going to be a key player in the book of Acts. In fact, I've got a message just on Barnabas because it's just such a cool person how God uses him. Here's where he shows up the first time though. His, his real name was Joseph. Barnabas is his nickname, which means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager. And one of the ways he encourages the church is radically giving a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He was originally from Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This, this radical gift that he gave in it. Now, as we look at this and you look at this movement through it, part of it, we, we look at that time period and we go, okay, what is God saying to it and through it to us? And the first thing you see is when God moves, you start caring more about other people than your stuff. And it just, there's a truth to this. When God moves in a life, when God moves in his church, when God moves across your heart, you start realizing so many of the things that we hold on to, so many of the things we find significance in, so many of the resources especially that can be so hard to let go of. There's this amazing thing when the Holy Spirit really starts moving in your life. One of the signs of that, and you see it in this church here, one, you start realizing, wait, all these resources I'm holding on to, they're all God's. They were all his to begin with. That's why God's never impressed by stuff. He's never impressed. God's never impressed like by the size of the gift. He really cares more about what's going on in someone's heart with it. There's never a like Fortune 500 list or you know, Forbes top wealthiest people. God never pulls that list out and goes, oh wow, Bezos is killing it. Oh man, look what Zuckerberg's worth and all that. I mean, we do that. We go, oh man, look at all that. God could care less about that. You know Why? because it's all his. There's part of me goes, yeah, okay. They feel that. And as you become a part of God's family, the more he works in your heart, there's a, there's a part of it that you realize, wait, everything I own is his. Every resource out there is his. And so instead of just valuing it all to hold on to it, to find our worth out of it, this movement that happens in the heart that you start going, I want to value what God actually values. And you know what you'll realize? You know what God values? People. Because he knows they're eternal. 
And, and, and you start having this movement in your heart that you start valuing people more than stuff. And this generosity that flows out of it. I, I get the privilege of, of seeing that. I've seen it in so many people's lives who go on this journey. And a lot of times it's a journey of realizing that and journey of, of really letting the spirit work in your heart in that way. And, and sometimes I'll hear people say, they go, oh man, why aren't we generous like the church back in Acts? And, and I go, yeah, I wanna learn from that. But can I just tell you, man, getting to work here at the church and being a part of venture, this is happening today through so many of you. So many of you are so generous. So many of you, God's captured your heart. And I get to see those gifts. The, everything that we do here on the weekend, all the ministry we have, it's because people step forward and they go, yeah, I wanna be a part of that. And, and not just here, the part I love, man, I get to hear the stories of the marriages that were saved. People who came in for life coaching and they came to Jesus to it and it transformed their home. People who were struggling with an addiction and, and they found freedom that was through that. So many ways in that ministry, not just here, but around the world as well. I, I get to be a part of those of us who support the outreach fund. That's a separate fund, by the way. It's what we do to give away and it's missions and it's local with that. Man, I, I love venture families got so excited that when City Team was opening a new apartment complex and they said, we wanna renovate apartments to get people, homeless people off the street. Man, you guys have renovated, you've given or renovated like four to six of them, I think the last count. But people just stepping forward going, yeah, I wanna be a part of that. I, I wanna be a part of the, the regions that we're in. And so in India today, I love reading the update because I support outreach and to hear women and children who've been saved from sexual slavery. People are getting an education today, schools that were built, trades that were given to people. That's happening right now. That's the church in action. In Mexico, we, we've got people who've been rescued from the cartel. They came to Christ, they don't wanna work for the cartel anymore. What do you do when you're stuck like that? Somebody's gotta step in. You know who stepped in? People in this church who said, yeah, we'll support them. We'll help them get out of that. In, in the Middle East, while this war is raging and it's devastating lives. And we have ministry partners who are right there on the front line in Palestine, in Jordan, in Egypt. And we get to be a part of that. I mean, all, all over the place, you, you see people who've stepped forward because God moved in their hearts because they said, yeah, I value what God's doing. I value helping people in that way. And, and I would just encourage you, if that's not a part of your life, man, this would be a great place to just step back and go, okay, God, could you help me release in a way that I could model like the early church? Could you help me release in a way that I could care for those in need with that? And as you do that, here's what you'll find as well. Effective giving is organized giving. Because a lot of times, especially with this passage, I'll hear people and they'll kind of go to this passage, see, they were just giving and sharing. And, and I hear it a lot from a younger generation as well. They go, I just want to give like that. I just want to give directly to somebody. I don't want to give to any organizations. I don't like organizations. And I hate to break it to you, even in this passage, they organized. What did they do? They came and they brought the money to the apostles and then the apostles distributed it through the church. In fact, you're gonna see in the very next chapter, they had organized a feeding program with this. And, and I say that, should you help friends in need? Absolutely reach out with it. But we have to be careful because a lot of times we can convince ourselves we're very generous because we're giving sporadically instead of really sacrificially with it. 
I like giving to an organization because organization, there's an effectiveness that comes with it. And so like in my own life, last week I saw a homeless family. They were there. Man, I felt moved. I gave them some money directly. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. But you know what? I'd rather key resources go to city team because they're making a difference of homelessness in this city like few others. So if I like giving to that. I like giving real options. I love an organization that comes alongside crisis pregnancies and helps them not only with medical care, but follow-up care and food and clothing and all that goes with that so that it's holistic in the care with that. That takes organization. I, I like giving. And, and I know some people say, well, I don't like giving because there's overhead. Well, of course there's overhead. That's leadership. That's effectiveness. I don't like it when it's all overhead, but boy, I look at it for me. I just go, I want my dollar being the most effective. And when somebody's come alongside, and so as much as I'd love to personally help young people in the city, the Boys and Girl Club are doing an incredible job with it. I, I can keep going on and on. I just would say in this, as God moves your heart, as he moves through his church, as he moves in different ways, He's moving sometimes more than we realize in this radical area of generosity. People are making effective things. And I'm not just talking about our church. I, I get to partner with other churches. I know what Westgate's doing and how they're drilling wells around the world. My friend Ken Foreman over at Cathedral of Faith, you can pray because they're working with the city. They're trying to build housing for people who need housing right now. He's working through his church. The question I would have, man, are you a part of it? Don't just look for the organization or the other groups. Because if you look in the early church in Acts, God's moving and the Holy Spirit's moving in people's hearts in a way that they go, I want to personally be involved. I want to personally give to that. And as they did that, this great sacrifice prepares us for great service. You look at Barnabas' life. I think one of the reasons Barnabas was so effective is before God ever launched him in ministry, before he ever stepped out, you see this guy that even though he has this field and it must've been a big gift because it's mentioned in this, but instead of just holding on to that, it could have been, hey man, that's my nest egg. Hey man, that's what I have. He goes, hey, I'm gonna release it. God, I'm yours. And God sends him on this great adventure. And, and I, I would just encourage us, because I'll, I'll talk to people at times and, the, and they'll, they'll say, oh man, I want to be used by God. I want to be used in ways. And if he hasn't opened up those doors yet, you might want to step back and go, is there anything I'm holding on to so tight? God can't release me. Is there anything that, that I, yeah, I want to be used by God, but man, I've, I'm holding on to this job or I'm holding on to this net. I'm holding on to this number. I got one retirement number. It's got to be that number. And hear me, I hope you're planning well. I really do. But boy, if you get chained to your plans, <laughs> you might miss out on some of the adventure God has for you. Because he controls everything. And, and, and that preparation of being willing to sacrifice prepares you for service. Jesus said, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and just follow me. And trust me. And don't always wait for, well, that one day I'll be used by God. Once I get to, when I can, all that. And then, then you know, I'll be used by God in it. And just start today with what you have, with where he's placed you. Yeah, I was reading about a guy named Jerry 
who about 20 years ago, he went over to Russia. He was in Moscow. And he, he, a poor section of the city, he had gone over with prison fellowship. They had visited prison, prisoners there, prisoners there. And uh, they finished and had an extra day. And so the organizer said, hey, why don't we take you to one of the local hospitals? There's a children's hospital here for kids with blood cancers. And he went in the hospitals, big hospital, 750 bed hospital, but almost empty. And as they walked around, I mean, he, he said it was strange. There was no laundry. There were no nurses. There's no kitchen staff. In fact, families that had their kids there had to come in and fix their kids' meals in the kitchen. Because they had no money. They had no medicine. And, and, and this hospital that was supposed to be a treatment place had pretty much become a hospice hospital for kids with these disorders just to come and die because they couldn't treat them. One little girl was wheeled out, 14-year-old girl. She had curly brown hair, but dark circles under her eyes. She had a blood cancer. And as Jerry leaned over, he asked the translator, he said, what's your name? She said, Eugenia. And he about fell over because that's his daughter's name. And he started looking at this girl and he thought, man, if this was my daughter. And he, he asked, is there anything to be done? And they said, she probably has about four months because we have no medicine. And, and then one of the workers said, it would take $18,000 to get her the medicine she needs. At that moment, Jerry looked at his buddy, Ed, and he said, okay, Ed. And, and hear me, Jerry's not wealthy. Sometimes you hear these stories, you know, they're wealthy. They, he doesn't have money. But he looked at his buddy, Ed, and he goes, okay, Ed, come on, we can do this. He said, if I sell my car, will you sell your truck? And Ed looked at him, he goes, Jerry, you always get me into these things. But then he shook his head and he goes, and that's why I come on these trips with you. And so they made a commitment. They said, we'll take care of this. They went back to the States and, and Jerry wasn't done. He started getting on the phone, calling everybody he could, calling clinics, who has this medicine? Who's got them? He got this large clinic here in the US to donate tens and thousands of dollars worth of medicine. They said, we'll pack it up in coolers if you take it back. In fact, they started raising money. They raised millions of dollars and they transformed that hospital to where it had doctors and nurses and medicine. And then from around Russia, they would send doctors to be trained there to be able to treat other kids across the country. When Jerry went back on the first flight with the medicine, he was walking into the hospital and Eugenia's mother came running. And then she started crying. And then in her broken English, she looked at him. She said, you are Jesus, are you not? And I was saying in that moment, yes. It's the hands and feet of Christ. And I don't know about you. I, I hear a story like that and I go, oh man, I want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that. You, you, you know how that started though? One, he's, he's willing to go. And, and he's willing instead of just kind of holding on, oh man, I wish I could help you. He'd go, hey, what do I have? I don't have to hold on to my car. I don't have to hold on to this. 
those movements of, of just radical generosity where God opens the door. And, and guys, I know as we go through this, man, there's a convicting part of it, convicting for me. But I say this to you because I don't want you to miss out. I don't want to miss out. I, I think there's these, these opportunities that God's placed in front of us and often we miss it because one, we're not looking, but two, we're so fixated and holding on to the life that we have, we can't fathom letting go of a part of it. And we miss. See, the early church, when God was moving through his church, when God was moving through his people, they gave in these radical ways, they sacrificed in these radical ways. And then we're gonna see, and I told you it's a radical passage, it's about to get even more. This refinement in the church. Because look what happened out of this. A man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. Sounds good so far. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they kind of, they see Barnabas do this and they go, ooh, that was cool. Yeah, we want to be a part of that. They got excited sell the property. We don't know if it ended up selling for more than they thought it would. We don't know if a new bill came in, whatever in that, but somewhere in the process, they were like, let's not give all of it. Which again, it was their property. God wasn't demanding. God doesn't demand everybody sell their property or you got to give all of it on that. But look in this process. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. He, he continues, he says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Peter goes, you were under no pressure to even give this. Or you decided the amount. But look at the issue here. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. He says, earlier, he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Man, that's lying to God. Which by the way, if anybody ever tells you, well, the Holy Spirit's not God, Peter thought he was. He equates it. He said, why are you doing this? And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. He died. Whew. And great fear came upon all who heard of it, <laughs> you think? The young men rose and they wrapped him up and they carried him out and they buried him. Uh, I read this and I go, these are the church interns. You know, the church interns, they always have the rotten jobs. He drops down dead and Peter's like, interns. All right, come on, wrap him up. Yeah, bury him, bury him, that's your job. Few hours later, an interval, about three hours, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. She's like, you guys seen Ananias? Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He gives her an opportunity. He goes, hey, is this what you sold the land for? And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet. She breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church 
and upon all who heard these things. Now again, you read this story, it's a pretty strange story. It's a sobering story. You know, it's interesting to me. When I hear people talk, they go, man, I wish the church today had the miracle of Acts. I've never heard anybody wish we had this miracle again. <laughs> and, and again, remember our, our warning at the beginning, we, we don't want to overfixate on one side that, man, we're suddenly terrified with that. God's doing something. These miracles and Acts were very powerful on purpose. I mean, to the point we're going to see that Peter's shadow, if people walked in his shadow, they got healed. God's doing something as he launches his church. And so it's very powerful. We learn from, we don't demand or see, but the flip side of it, and, and this is the one I want us to guard against because we can kind of look at it and go, yeah, that was weird, man. I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. And just kind of write it off. What is God telling this church? One of the key things that stands out to me in this is we can trust that God will protect the purity of his church. God cares about the purity of his church because the mission's so important. Because we are his witnesses. We represent him in the world. We have to show people what God is like and our God's a holy God. And, and as you, you look at this, and especially I think one of the reasons the miracles were so dynamic in Acts, but also this correction is so radical in Acts, because the church is launching here. And if it gets off even one degree, if you go off one degree at the very beginning, it doesn't take long till there's major separation from where it should be. And so here as he's launching the church, you've got this radical corrective that comes in. And, and God loves his church enough that he can't let that stuff be in it. And I say that because we live in a day, and I don't know if, if, if you're like me, you track what's going on, major churches, major ministries. And it, it feels like almost every other week, oh, there's another person that fell. There's another person that did this. Another person is exposed. Another person out of that. And there's part of me, my head starts spinning. I'm like, oh man, this is so bad for the church. And, and why are they doing that? And some of it you read, it's kind of like sorted in all the different parts. And there's part that gets discouraged. And then there's another part of me that goes, you know what? This is this principle in action. God's not going to let that rot be in this church. It's like dry rot in your walls. If you find out you have dry rot in the walls, you better go ahead and just open it up and tear it out. You got to deal with it. And God is so on this mission of reaching people. God is so on this mission of making sure our church, his church represents him in that. He's like, man, where you got issues, you got to deal with it. One of the core issues here, and it's fascinating to me because if you study Christ's life, the key sin that I find him get the most antagonistic about, the one he confronts the hardest, is usually hypocrisy. And, and the reason is when his people in his church try to hide it and pretend like it's not there, man, it so undermines everything. He can deal with any sin but he demands his church, you guys got to be real about this. It's probably one of the things when people say they don't like the church the most, it's one they bring up the most. And I think the reason is God wants us to deal with it and the purity of that. We deal with it personally. We protect our lives by guarding our hearts. We guard our hearts. Notice what Peter said to, to Ananias and Sapphira. What, why have you let Satan 
in your heart in this. You've, you've given him a doorway to your heart. Your, your heart is the wellspring of your life. Proverbs says, guard your heart for everything flows out of it. And so at some point, the devil had this doorway in. Do I think Ananias and Sapphira were Christians? Absolutely, I think they're part of the church. This isn't a salvation issue, guys. It doesn't say they were possessed by Satan. But, but some, he, he got in with the temptation there. He, he grabbed their heart in, in an issue with this. On what was initially a really good thing, they were selling property to give it to the church, to give it to the kingdom. And somewhere in there, and, and, and for me, I go, yeah, man, I want to be vigilant. I don't have to be afraid. A lot of times we think Satan gets in only through the occult. And he does. I mean, you don't want to mess with that stuff. I'm telling you, I don't watch any of that stuff. I don't watch any movies, anything that has demons in it and all that stuff. I don't want that in my life at all. I don't want to be exposed to that. But I tell you, for most of it, that us, that's not going to be the doorway in. I mean, some point Ananias and Sapphira, I, I don't, maybe it was greed. When they realized, whoo, this is a big amount. Are we really going to give this big amount? We could give this amount. But then pride kind of stepped in. They go, well, we said we were giving the whole. And then lying came in. We could just tell them. No one's going to know. It's still good what we did. This was a good thing. We're, we're doing a good thing. If anybody, I mean, who, who would take us on? Do you see how much we're giving actually? And that's Peter's point. He goes, it was all a good thing. It was all yours. You, you didn't have to give any of it. It was yours. But somewhere in this, things got twisted. And you're not dealing with it. And you're being dishonest about it. And you're not just lying to people, you're lying to God. Is, hidden sin is always a form of self-deception. Anytime you have hidden sin in your life, you're always deceiving yourself because you know what you're telling yourself? Well, this is okay. I'll take care of it. I can handle it. It's not hurting anybody. And, and, and part of what he's exposing in this is you have to deal with it. And it doesn't matter what it is. That's the thing about it. God forgives any sin. God's open. It, it, the things that we hide the most that we think, oh man, if anybody knew, oh man, if this came out in the light, oh man, God's so disappointed in me. Oh man, I'm the worst of sinners. That's the enemy forcing you to stay hidden as opposed to just coming forward and going, I actually believe God at his word and his grace. And I'm gonna bring this out into the light. I love how John puts it. He says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we're hiding things. We lie. We don't practice the truth. We're lying to ourselves most of all. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. We have connection and trust with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It doesn't matter what the sin was. Jesus cleans it. But you can't hide it. And, and, and there's this place of just going... I trust enough that I'll bring this into the light that somebody knows, that somebody could help me, that somebody could be a part of it. Now, 
I saw a story of a, a family, their church was in this Easter season, they were preparing for Easter. And they came to a service that their church would do every year where you, you spent time in preparation. And one of the things was you, you came as an individual or a family and there was a spot where there was a cross and you just spent some time confessing. And they had slips of paper and you could write out a sin that you were dealing with and pin it to the cross. And, and these parents had their six-year-old son with them this year and they explained it to him and so they all sat there and the parents, they wrote out something and they folded it up and they pin it to the cross and they fold it and pin it to the cross. And they looked down, their six-year-old, he's working hard. You know, he's six, he's writing with block letters. And he wrote on the slip of paper, he says, God, I'm sorry because I lie. And then he signed his name. And then he went over to the cross and he pinned it to the cross with it just open there. And, and his parents said, hey, buddy, um, you, you didn't have to sign your name. Do you want to fold it over and then pin it? And he, he looked at him and he said, I wrote my name on it because I want everyone to see it. Because if they know it was me, Maybe they can help me stop. Man, I love his heart. As a kid, he's like, I don't want to lie. I don't want this to be true about me. And I hate that more than the thought of anybody knowing. And I actually believe these are the people that could help me. Now, part of the reason I, I don't think we do that more is a lot of us have been burned when you open up your life and then people use it against you. And that's why I would say, guys, hear me. That's why there's no place for gossip. There's no place for talking about people. There's no place for, oh man, I heard about so-and-so, I'm gonna share. When you do that, you know what it does? It ruins the opportunity for us to all experience light together. But I, I would just challenge you if you could learn from him. Maybe you don't wanna pin in front of everyone, but can't you tell somebody? Can't, can't you open up to somebody and go, hey, I just need some help. I need somebody to know about this. I keep telling myself I can handle it or I can do it. I need some light on this. Will you fellowship with me? Then that's scripture in action. That's what the church is all about. And, and part of this there's a healthy place in the church. That last verse, it said, man, there was a healthy fear in the church. Everybody suddenly went, whoa, God takes this seriously. And I, I would say healthy, holy fear is a healthy safeguard. 
It doesn't mean that we're afraid of God. Doesn't mean they were terrified. Doesn't mean they had any less excitement. Doesn't mean any of those things with it. They're not scared because God's gonna punish them. But they were aware that God takes so seriously what he's doing in the world, what he's doing through us. I can't put another coat of paint over the dry rot. I need to deal with it. I need to actually take him at his word and believe that he forgives it, but believe that he's given me a church family to be open with this. Guys, as as we finish a passage like this, I just want to end where I began. Some of you here, you kind of, you hear a story like this and man, you're scared to death. I've talked to some of them, they go, that's the scariest thing in the world. You don't have to be scared. God didn't put this in here to scare us. We don't overfixate. I'm not worried one of you is about to drop dead out there. I'm really not. But I don't want to do the other side of it too. I don't want to walk out of here and you go, man, that was a weird story. Man, I'm glad they don't do that anymore. And we don't take seriously what God's doing in our lives, what he's doing in your heart. So maybe today he's convicted you that if you're honest with yourself, you go, you know, Tim, I'm really not generous. I'm not living like the early church was in that. Take it seriously. Ask him, God, is there anything I'm holding on to I need to let go of to trust you in this area of my life? Maybe today he's convicted you of something you've been hiding for a while. And even right now, he's telling you the name of somebody you need to tell. Somebody you need to invite in and bring it out into the light. Trust him. Step out in it. And and for all of us, I, I hope all of us were sobered in a way that we have a God who forgives everything but he actually expects us to believe that and to live in that truth and call each other to it. Because we are his witnesses in the world. And hypocrisy kills that witness. And so that, that holy fear can be a healthy safeguard for people who want to share the love of Jesus to everyone we meet. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you We thank you for the truth of your word. I I thank you for this story. I don't really like it. There's parts I don't fully understand why Ananias and Sapphira. And yet, Lord, I want to learn from it. I want to trust you in it. Lord, I I pray adventure. Could you create the kind of environment where we we share things in the light because we have each other's back? We share things because we trust and that trust has been protected. Where we take sin seriously because we actually believe you forgive it no matter what it is. And we can walk in fellowship with each other and with you. Lord, I I pray for each of us. Would we make a decision that, that we would, we'd place all of our life on who you are we would build all of who we are, our identity, our our ownership, everything we have, we would build it on the love that you've expressed to us. And we know it is true because of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. 
We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.